0: Thank you for listening to Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan King. Radio Never Apart is a monthly interview feature which we started at the beginning of 2020, available as part of the online Never Apart magazine. Never Apart is a non-profit organization started in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. With the mission of initiating social change and spiritual awareness through cultural programming. Due to the current COVID-19 pandemic, Never Apart's physical gallery spaces are not open to the public for the most up-to-date information as well as to see what's happening with upcoming exhibitions check out neverapart.com there's tons of other great content there as well including in-person interviews with artists who've shown in the past and some virtual exhibitions that are being hosted there temporarily while the physical gallery spaces are not open to the public we began this podcast season with the intent of speaking to lgbtq pioneers and allies of the community about their lives and experiences as performers artists and collaborators who were a part of creating unique and expressive nightlife worlds so we focused on new york specifically for this season. That's where I have resided most recently up until the COVID-19 pandemic, but we will be including voices and experiences from other cities, both in Canada, as well as hopefully in other cities around the world. So definitely stay tuned for that. My guest on this episode is someone who is quite a legend in New York's underground nightlife world, as well as in the music world. Um, Miss Guy, Guy Furrow, was the lead singer of the band The Toilet Boys and is probably known most famously for that as well as for being a part of the party in New York in the 90s called Squeeze Box, which was um, rock-focused night. New York nightlife. But some people may not know that prior to that, when Miss Guy first arrived in New York, he was a participant in the boy bar scene and got his start as a performer doing drag numbers, which you might even be surprised to hear what his very first drag number was that he ever performed. So we talk about that in this episode, um, as well as about the love of New York that so many People experienced in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s who really sought out the counterculture at a time when it wasn't readily available online. You know, in magazines like Paper Magazine and Details Magazine, which in the 80s and 90s were sort of covering the underground scene and the the sort of counterculture fashion world in New York. So we talk a little bit about that, as well as some of the people that were influential in. This guy moving to New York with friends of his that he knew from California. And in the last episode, we mentioned some of those people In speaking with Lauren Pine, who Miss Guy is a very close friend of. We also talk a little bit in this episode specifically about Matthew Kasten. And I've had the pleasure of getting to know Matthew over the phone in this past few weeks. And Miss Guy talks about Matthew Kasten's influence and uh, the way that Boy Bar got started in this episode. So I hope that you'll enjoy listening to all of that because it really was quite an incredible and special time in New York and in New York nightlife. Thanks so much for talking to me today. how How is life uh, treating you in New York at this moment? Uh, you know, strange
1: times, but everything's good. I really can't complain. Just sort of trying to stay optimistic and positive about the world getting back to some sort of normalcy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Same here. I'm really enjoying these conversations with all these incredible people that I've Gotten to know in the last little while and it's giving me something to focus on, something to look forward to. And we've had the absolute joy of getting to know each other over the phone during this social distancing era. Take the listeners back to the very beginning and to your arrival in New York City. You've done a lot in the last time that you've been there. So take take us back to the very beginning.
1: Well, I guess it starts before that before we got to new york lauren and i my best friend who you know um we were we bonded in high school in like 10th grade over the first culture club record we were obsessed with boy george and so we we knew each other but we didn't we weren't really tight until that record came out and we started seeing culture club in concert i think in our senior year of high school it must have been like either late 84 or early 85. We somehow got invited to this Malcolm McLaren party he was having at his hotel. I think it was the La Mondrian on sunset. And um, so we got all dressed up and went to this party and we were talking to Malcolm and he said, you guys, have you ever been to New York? And we said, no. And he said, oh, you guys should go to New York. They would love you there. And the next day, at school we were like i guess we should move to new york <laughs> and so it was it must have been early 85 because it was a few months before graduation i would say i feel like it was like april of 85 i don't know why
0: and describe your aesthetic yeah. at that time what what was it do you think that made malcolm mclaren say oh they would love you in new york
1: our looks at the um malcolm mclaren party were lauren had a gold tinsel Cleopatra wig on, sort of like what Nina Hagen wore on the cover of Universal Radio from 85, and um, or late 84. Um, and her eyebrows were shaved off, and she had, you know, very kind of old Hollywood sort of movie star makeup on. And a white, I don't know why I remember this so vividly, a, a white long-sleeve lace. I think it was just a top. And then she had like a white long slip on that she sewed crinoline at the bottom to give that kind of fishtail. So the look was supposed to be like old 50s sort of gown, but it was all hodgepodge together because we we shopped in thrift shops and you know, you found what you found. But it was a lot of, in those days, you kind of just put your looks together as best you could. I mean, she knew how to sew a little bit I think. I didn't really. I, I knew how to take my pants in so that they were like tight down, you know, like straight leg. But anyway, that was her look and maybe like white pumps or something and little lace white gloves. And I had a look that was sort of like bleach blonde hair that I would put in a high ponytail. It was kind of long, but not too long, maybe to my shoulders or whatever. But I would, I made this, um, I got this hair piece, blonde hair piece that was, I dreaded because I was, I really liked, we were also obsessed with Marilyn Boy George's friend pop singer from the, from those days and I had all his records I guess we both did and posters on my wall I really liked his look because it was something that I felt like I could pull off because I didn't really I know I knew how to do makeup okay in those days but it, his was a more kind of natural look so I kind of went in that direction I had this black sort of weird jacket on that um I bought it, let it rock in L.A. on Melrose for around that time. And um, my dad bought it for me, actually. And it was, I wore it to prom that year. Maybe Malcolm's party was like right around the end of the school year because I had that jacket that I wore to prom. Anyway, that was my look, you know, that jacket. And I think my friend, our friend Erica used to sew quite well. And she made me a pair of black lace pants that I had on. And I... I had my first pair of heels on which were um, we bought on Melrose probably at like Let It Rock or so I had you know I bought myself a pair of um, you know very of that time like black ankle boots pointy toed patent leather with uh, buckles so those were those were my first pair of heels and I had those on and um, that was those were our looks so we did look pretty good I guess. Um, but we looked very, like, of L.A., Melrose of, nine, of that time. You know, that's all I remember from meeting him um, was that we should go to New York, that they would love us. That's all I really remember. I don't know. It must have been a very brief conversation, and I don't remember anything else Lauren might, but that's all I remember.
0: The part that Lauren told me about as well was that you had a friend, Stephen perfidia kirkham who was in new york already and that also sort of you know at least spurred the two of you and because you had you know you had a place to stay that helped you kind of get yourselves there
1: so perfidia probably left in late i'm gonna say late august and came to new york so there was about a month and maybe a month or a month and a half before we came we followed right after perfidia during that time he was in star magazine they would do like a uh they had a section called I don't know what it was. People are wearing and so it would be usually famous people, but sometimes it would just be like a random weirdo at a nightclub or something. And so, Perfidia and they were at the Palladium, which had just opened that May, um, May of '85. And I knew that because I got like details, and um, they did a really they had a really great section on New York nightlife. We would see like Grace Jones and Boy George and. Debbie Harry and Warhol and Madonna and everybody—all late '84 and late '80, 80, early '85—at at clubs, usually Limelight, and so we we saw and knew of the Palladium opening because of details, and so Perfidia was photographed at um, Palladium with Gia, and it was it made it into Star magazine, and we were so excited for Perfidia and also for ourselves, because we're, we knew we were going to be in New York, you know, in early October, and we were going to be going to these clubs and getting dressed up. And we were just so excited, thinking, oh, maybe we'll be photographed and put in Star Magazine. I don't think we ever were, but we did end up in other magazines, like Details and um, Paper Magazine. And-
0: Isn't it interesting, too, for, you know, almost any of us who kind of were, like, drawn to that world and that culture, you just, you sought it out, even though it took some extra legwork You'd found it Like I remember You know same thing I would go to These like second hand shops To find vintage Like secondhand issues Of paper and details From the 90s But in the early 2000s Because I was just so Obsessed with like that New York culture And that New York nightlife world And I mean that was like Some serious digging Like it was pre Sort of Google And it was like pre Social media But you There just was like something about it that you were, it really ignited something in me. It sounds like it did the same for you.
1: I think up into a certain point, you know, when you're young and naive in those days, I think it was a good thing because you didn't, your mind didn't think, oh, you can't do this. You just did it. A couple of stories, just so you can have an idea of what that time was like, you know, um, my older brothers, uh, two of them in particular, were really into punk and new wave. And so I started seeing a lot of good bands like in the late 70s and early 80s because of them. And so I got to see Blondie in 79 and the Ramones, all these great shows that, you know, I was only like 11 or 12, maybe 13, depending on what year it was. But I got to see a lot of great people. We went to see the Ramones at the California theater, and this was 79 or 80, I would guess and um we didn't have tickets and we walked right into this concert and we walked in and i think it was the backstage entrance and we we just walked right in and then we went into the venue and sat down in some empty seats um it was like a small theater and the ramones went on and we were sitting down in empty seats in like the second or third row you know because there were always scattered empty seats at concerts and there still are but I think the guy just thought that we were like part of the Ramones posse and the Ramones all wore jeans and leather jackets and so that it makes sense and years later when I got to know Pleasant Gaiman from the LA scene who was like one of the first original wave of punk rockers and new wavers and she was in New York a while back and we went out to lunch and we were talking about the innocence of those times um she would see Blondie and the Ramones and every other band that would come through and play the whiskey or the starwood. And I said, isn't it funny how, you know, we would be able to get into these shows and get backstage and meet these people and find out where they were staying. And I said, you know, I don't know. We didn't give it any thought. We just knew we wanted to meet these people or see these people or go backstage. And, and, and it was just easy. Like you just kind of knew I'm going to meet Robert Smith from The Cure. I'm going to meet Susie. And, you know, I didn't meet Susie, but I did meet Robert Smith. And, um, but, you know, we, you just figure out a way. And it was just less security and it was less, it wasn't as strict. We laughed about how that would never happen now. Now that we are actually friends with these people, you are invited to go backstage, but you still get like stopped or whatever. And, you know, not always, but sometimes, but like, she said she used to call the Tropicana, which was the hotel that the motel where all the bands would stay. It was like a rundown motel. Um, I never went there because it was before my time. But uh, of course, I know about the legend of the Tropicana. But she said they all knew her because she was, became friendly with all the bands that would stay there. And so she would call up the front desk of the Tropicana Hotel and say, hey, it's Pleasant. Who's in town this week? And they would say, Blondie's gonna be here and the damned is gonna be here. And like, it's, it, and it's, I just love that because now, you know, nobody, unless you actually lived that time, and for us living the early to mid 80s, where we would just figure out a way to get backstage or figure out where George, Boy George was staying or whoever, what hotel they were staying at, it's like, that would never happen nowadays for a number of reasons. But it's just one of those things that like, I love telling my younger friends, like, it was such a magical time because that will yeah. never happen again, you know. And so back to you know New York in the early days. So yeah, that if, as to, as best I can remember was like Scotty e. Walt came first, and that's he was we were all friends, and so that's how it became possible for S- for Stephen to Perfidia to come to New York, and because of Scott, and then that made it possible for me and Lauren because of scott and perfidia um anyway and you know we came to new york and perfidia was like yeah you can stay with me and i live with gia i'm sure she'll be cool with it and i don't i think we took a bus into the city from the airport um to port authority and i remember walking out onto the streets and thinking you know being a little bit like scared and intimidated but i liked that feeling and also being really excited and thinking, Oh my God, I, and I had never been to New York, neither had Lauren um, and thinking, I don't ever want to leave this place. Like this is where I'm meant to be. And um, I still have moments of, I'll just be walking down the streets, nothing I think about, but it'll just all of a sudden this feeling comes over me like, Oh my God, I'm in New York city and I love this city so much.
0: So take me back to your kind of like beginning era in New York, because you were a part of the Boy Bar group, the Boy Bar Beauties, in those early days.
1: We went to Boy Bar, if I remember correctly, the first day we got to New York, that night we got dressed up and went out with Perfidia to Boy Bar. And then we went to, we hung out there for a bit, and then we went to the Palladium and uh, it was mind blowing. I mean, both places for different reasons. Um, Boy Bar was a bar on St. Mark's that was two floors packed with the mostly gay, but a lot of nightlife celebrities and nightlife stars and performers and whatever. But it was just all overwhelming and exciting. And you know, then we went to Palladium, which was enormous and um, packed with all kinds of people uh, of that time, plus major celebrities like real stars. You know, even though I thought of nightlife stars in those days as being legitimate stars, they were famous, just like the way Grace Jones was famous or whatever, but maybe not as famous or as successful. But it, to me, it was all the same. A star was a star. Now, of course, I can see the difference because. I lived through that time and became, you know, a nightlife star, quote unquote. Um, So Boy Bar was, you know, I met a lot of people that night. I watched the show. I think we watched the show, which was Connie, Girl, Shannon and Glamour And they were the original Boy Bar beauties. And um, I just thought it was such a great thing. And so it wasn't what I wanted to do but it was really entertaining and they were glamorous and gorgeous. And it was something like I had never seen. It was mind blowing to see, and it was really fun. And I wanted to perform, but my, my thoughts were I wanted to start a rock band and do a band. So my friend said to me one night when we were watching the show, I could see you doing that. And I said, like, really? And thinking, well, I don't know how to go about that. Well, because we hung out there every Thursday night Um, and dressed up and you know we looked pretty great considering and um, we started to meet all of them and and then Matthew Caston came up to me one night he you know guided me and did this whole thing for me and it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do um, as far as a drag lip sync goes but it was I just did what he said because he put the shows together and I didn't say, well, oh, I, I think I should lip sync this song or look this way. So um, and it was good, actually, because I was I wasn't like as ballsy, I guess, in those days. And so I let him put me together and do what he wanted. And he sort of started putting me together as this like old Hollywood 50s glamour, 40s, 50s glamour, Hollywood queen. And I would lip sync songs from that era and he would. You know, it wasn't me. I, although I love that world and I've, I've been obsessed with old Hollywood since I was like 10 years old. But um, as a performer, it wasn't what I wanted to do. But it was a good learning experience.
0: Matthew Caston was involved in that sort of, you know, would try to direct the girls a little bit and sort of steer the show and stuff. Um, so he So he had a hand in that in the beginning for you. He
1: was, you know... Often right with people, and sometimes it wasn't right. But with me, I would say uh, he was very helpful in me learning how to perform and be comfortable on stage. I was so shy, and I mean, to the point that I was so scared to do it, that the day of I was trying to think of excuses. It has to be something that has to do with why I can't look good to be on stage. So I had a sty and couldn't wear makeup. It was awful. I mean, I looked great, I suppose, but I, my performance was, was shitty. And, um, I wore a a really beautiful, like orange gown, if I remember correctly, like an old Hollywood looking gown that was just in the dressing room that fit me. And I had platinum hair, like a kind of a shag to my shoulders at the time. And he did it all Betty Grable, like pinned up twist but the curls, the top curled. And and then I did kind of like a 50s old Hollywood glamour girl makeup look. And I lip, did a lip sync of Doris Day, Hooray for Hollywood. Like I said, I let him direct it entirely and it was good. And so he had me doing stuff like that whenever I would perform there where I would be like 50s or 60s, but usually 50s. And I, I liked, f- for, I thought I looked better in a sort of 60s look so then i started doing more like big falls and more 60s heavier eye makeup and um, mini dresses and lip syncing like dusty springfield or whatever i think that started to work better for me but it still wasn't what i wanted to do i wanted to do like a lip sync of like the runaways or some black soul mama from the early 70s or late 60s or something that was a little tougher in hindsight my fondest memories of performing was doing it with the Toilet Boys or whatever but you know I needed that in between period. I I, I loved Matthew and the Boy Bar Beauties but I, I really wanted to do my own rock thing and it was hard for me to say to Matthew that I didn't want to perform with the Boy Bar Beauties but you know and there was no problem between us as friends but I I just needed to do it and he let me do it. He wasn't like giving me a hard time about it at all. Um, but yeah, Matthew was so, that whole world, Matthew and, and Connie and Glamamore, Connie and Glamamore, they would be like, give real like, oh, you should try this. Or, you know, when you're up, you know, they gave great advice that really helped me as a performer. And so did Matthew. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that was how I was able you know, how because I think I became a good performer at some point and with my band, and you know, I feel like that all stems back to like the boy bar days. I that, that was like yeah. performance school for me. You know, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't had that. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, I didn't go to college. After, I, you know, I graduated high school and never had any intention to go to college, but that was sort of like my schooling um you know and and uh they were so talented those original queens and then also queens that came along with me and after me were super talented as well deondra perfidia Um, perfidia and i me perfidia and deondra were about the next wave i would say
0: and then you at at a certain point you started to do performances like your drag numbers were more rock songs than the kind of old Hollywood stuff. And that was like a transition period before you started in a band.
1: Way before. Um, so it gave me a few years to kind of develop my drag rock persona, which was like, you know, wearing more kind of like dressing more like how the rock chicks of the New York rock scene were dressing at that time. And that more kind of like hair and makeup along those lines. And uh, I got a tattoo in like 87 when it was still illegal here I'm in a basement and and when I went to boy bar Matthew said to me um you know I think others did as well but he was like you know how are you gonna do drag with that you've got to cover that And I was like no I'll just do drag because no drag queens had tattoos that was part of my look you know I was like a the skinny rock queen with the tattoo on my arm and then uh And then a few years after that, I started performing with my friend Jojo and we were doing kind of like a twin look and we would, um, you know, do songs, rock songs. And sometimes we would do lip syncs and other times we would have musician friends record tracks for us and sing live to those. And and then after we started doing that together, we kind of, you know, after a couple of years, we just started going our own way and i i that's when i decided i gotta really put a band together seriously and he didn't seem as serious as i was at the time so you know our 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 intention i think if i remember correctly was to have a band with he and i being the singers and uh it just got to a point where i thought i need to do this on my own he doesn't seem to be taking this as serious as i am so i said okay well i'm gonna just start this band on my own and you do your thing and i'll do mine and that's how i did the first that's how i started the toilet boys which was uh you know something that was supposed to just be kind of a one night one a one-off but it ended up getting a good response and we started getting bookings and so then we just started playing and Doing all of that, but it all st- you know traces back to to Boy Bar and you know um, it's it's just it's, it's interesting. I I had enough uh, you know determination in me to say to Matthew, okay, I need to start doing my own thing, you know, whereas someone like Glamour really was a, a, a Matthew. You know, I mean, it it evolved into its his own thing, Glamour. But it was Matthew really had a heavy hand in what Glamour did in those days, down to picking the songs and whatever. But obviously, Glamour was a performer in his own right and has performed for up to this day, and is is brilliant. You know, but yeah, I'm just happy that I was I had enough mind of my own to to sort of say no to Matthew and say I wanted I need to do this that or the other and I would lip sync The Runaways and Nina I don't know Nina Hagen maybe or Joan Jada I don't know but and I also did like you know Aretha Franklin or other sassy kind of soul singers from time to time but anyway that's kind of my history with Bar. but you know it was it was a magical time and place for sure you know
0: So much for listening to this episode of Radio Never Apart. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Miss Guy, Guy Furrow. We will be continuing the conversation in a second episode next month because Guy and I ended up really going over a lot of New York history. Miss Guy was a part of some pretty incredible scenes, which I mentioned in the introduction, including the squeeze box era as well as the Jackie 60 period in the 90s, which we talk a little bit more about, and then also his time as a member of the the boys and touring and doing all kinds of even more incredible stuff I have to say a huge thank you to my sound editor Jack Fox in Vancouver for helping put this episode together as well as DJ Dickie Doo for the theme music which has been added since last month and also to never apart for supporting us in continuing to make these episodes If you have feedback on the podcast or if you have interview suggestions, feel free to reach out with the word podcast in the subject line and send an email to info at neverapart.com. Thanks so much and we look forward to having you back next
1: month.